You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. What's going on, guys? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints Podcast. The Saints extended their winning streak to nine games with a 20 uh, one to 16 win over the Falcons a nail biter to say the least obviously it came down to the final play with a Hail Mary attempt that didn't go the Falcons way it was an ugly win I know the saying is a win is a win and you take it and you absolutely do this is a 10 and 2 football team that just clinched a playoff spot because the Lions beat the Bears on Sunday which the Saints needed to go their way and it did so they're officially in the playoffs it's just going to come down to do they win the division which seems likely and then what's the seeding do the Saints get the one seed in a year where only the number one seed gets a bye week not the number two seed like there's it's been uh for several years so we're going to see what happens as the season progresses but there was a lot to dislike from this game and the Saints have been playing flaw, uh, flawless football for the last couple of weeks this was not one of those games sloppy penalties Taysom Hill had a couple of costly plays a lot to get down to on both sides of the football this was not a one side of the football played bad one side played well they were both inconsistent because they both had their moments where they looked dominant and the problem is that needs to be sustained and it wasn't but here's how I I look at this game because a lot of people are talking negatively and they're having a pessimistic view it's a division game it's against the Falcons weird shit always happens when the Saints and Falcons get together it doesn't matter the record you throw that to the side look at last year the Saints were cruising coming out of their bye week and they lost a Falcons team that I think had one win at the time so weird stuff happens when these two teams get together and with a divisional opponent you know that they know each other so well that happens and another thing that's really interesting and this was probably the one stat that scared a lot of Saints fans coming into this weekend when teams play twice the same team twice in a span of three weeks I believe they were like six and 23 going into this week or six and 17 something bad it was clearly under 500 so when you play the same team twice in a three-week span and you know each other so well stuff like this happens it's a close game what you're fortunate enough to happen is that the Saints still walk away with the win and they did so they're 10 and 2 clinched the playoff spot like I mentioned and now it's all about where are they going to be in the seeding they control their own destiny they win out they're the one seed they lose a game or two they're going to need some help so we'll see what happens um there but now obviously we'll take it one week at a time so let's get into the biggest thing here and it was the Taysom Hill fumbles, and that was the probably the main talking point on Twitter for everyone. It's a big issue. Fool me one time, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't put the blame on you. But for this instant, you can. Because when it comes down to this situation, Taysom Hill needs to be better. And if you want to say the fool me one time, shame on you, fool me twice, can't put the blame on you, then it should go on Sean Payton. It needs to go on someone because this isn't getting corrected. Now, I'm not blaming Sean Payton, guys. I'm just saying if you're going to take it literally, that statement, then it would need to go to someone else. But in this particular situation, Taysom Hill has to stop fumbling the football. And I thought Taysom Hill looked really good as a passer today, 27 of 37. He had two passing touchdowns the first two of his career. He had 232 passing yards. He was going through his reads well. Even if there was a holding and it was third and long, he was making a lot of great throws. He had one on a rope on third and 17 to Michael Thomas in the corner. Really great throw, probably his best of the day. He had some really good promising plays. Taysom Hill as a runner, though, it's an issue because he's fumbling the football way too much. He had a fumble against the Falcons. He had a fumble um, against the Broncos, ended up recovering it, but ended up getting sacked. He had two fumbles today. One went out of bounds, and he was fortunate enough that one went out of bounds. If that one doesn't go out of bounds, then who knows? Maybe the Falcons win the game. Maybe they get in the red zone. Something weird happens. Costly mistakes. And the first fumble he had, I think every Saints fan can agree. You're watching that and going, what the hell is he doing? Because you're in the red zone. Your defense just came up with a big strip sack. You can, even a field goal, 
A field goal would have made it 24 to 9 at that point. So they need a touchdown and then another touchdown and a two-point conversion just to tie it, even if you just get a field goal, okay? And he has a wide open man. Jared Cook's open. He could hit him. Doesn't hit him. Doesn't see him. Fine. It happens. You don't see your receiver. Okay. He rolls out to the right. He's about to get hit by five different Falcons players. Decides, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try and throw it while they hit me instead of either one eating the sack or two, just throw the ball out of bounds. And instead it ends up being a fumble. Falcons take over. They go down the other way, get a touchdown with Russell Gage. So things like that can't happen. When you the game's in your grasp and you're taking over because the box score is not going to show it. The Saints beat the shit out of the Falcons for about three and a half quarters, yet they needed to make a stop with 30 seconds left to win the game. That shouldn't happen. They were beating them in the yardage. They were just beating them on the on the ground, through the air. It didn't matter. The Saints were the better team for three and a half quarters. And then all of a sudden, they kind of lost their composure after that fumble. So Taysom needs to be better. Now, I thought he looked really good as a passer at some moments. It was really encouraging. But the fumbling is a huge issue, not because Taysom is a dual-threat quarterback, Taysom, late, at some point this year, even when Drew Brees is back, Taysom's going to be used in that gadget role, which he excels at. He can't lose the football. He can't lose the football in a, in a regular season game. He can't lose the football in a playoff game. Those are costly mistakes that can really bite you in the ass. And the Saints right now are getting away with it because their defense has been playing so well. But at some point, you can't just rely on your defense to hold teams under 17 points and be like, eh, if Taysom fumbles, it's okay, because it's not okay. It keeps happening every week needs to figure it out. I know Sean Payton said it needs to be addressed, and he kind of took the blame for it and said, I shouldn't put Taysom in that spot. But that's just Sean Payton being a really good head coach and taking the non-Bruce Arians route. Bruce Arians would have blamed Taysom Hill and thrown him under the bus about six times, checked if he's still breathing, and if he is still breathing, throw him under the bus one more time for good measure. Sean Payton's going to be accountable and take the blame, but this is a Taysom Hill issue. It needs to uh, be corrected, and it's it's frustrating because this is a game where we should have walked out and said, man, best game of Taysom's young career. But I can't say that because as good as he was as a passer, the issues with fumbling at some point, if it continues, are going to cost this team. I really hope he gets it figured out. Now, here's another thing that could cost this team. And now, it wasn't happening the last couple of weeks. It, it reemerged today, and I'll get into whether or not I think it was fluky or not. Penalties. Penalties, penalties, penalties. That was part of the reason why the Falcons were able to come back in this game and make it a really close one towards the end. The Saints got penalized 10 times for 79 yards. The Falcons got penalized one time for 15 yards. Here's my problem. Part of the, the issue with this game, the Saints were sloppy. There was a lot of hand checking, a lot of silly mistakes like Gardner Johnson hitting Russell Gage. Those happen and you get penalized for those. What I have an issue with though, and I know people are going to think I'm complaining about this and I, you know what, I, I technically am. There were things in that game where the Falcons should have got penalized and they didn't. And yet every time the Saints did one little minor bad thing, a flag comes flying out. And, and my problem is we're doing too much of the officiating in today's NFL off reputation. So the Saints at the beginning of the year, they were a sloppy team. They were making silly mistakes. They haven't really been doing that lately. Now, I know it did come up against Atlanta, but every time the Saints make a mistake, it's a flag. And every time the Falcons make a mistake, apparently it just wasn't seen. And the one that really stood out to me, it was a throw to Calvin Ridley in the end zone. Calvin Ridley ends up going incomplete. They call a flag on the Saints for illegal use of hands. Cam Jordan's getting mugged in the right corner of the screen. Like, literally getting held by his neck. I wouldn't be surprised if he popped up on the injury report with a neck injury on Wednesday. Like, he was literally getting strangled by the right tackle of the Falcons. But that doesn't get looked at. Like, you cannot be one-sided with officiating. And yes, the Saints were sloppy, so shame on them for doing so. They need to clean that up. But 10 penalties to one penalty? That's too big of a, a gap between these two teams. And it's not like the Falcons play flawless football. I mean, this is a team 
that has a lot of holes, that makes a lot of mistakes. And yeah, they're well coached now under Raheem Morris, but one penalty? I'm not sure about that. So that was a big issue, but I do think it was a little interesting that the Saints, who have been doing a decent job of late with penalties, all of a sudden just get hammered uh, in this game, and they didn't stop. Now, another issue defensively, and this comes down to the penalties as well, Marshawn Lattimore has to be better. I defend Marshawn Lattimore when he's on his game, and I criticize, criticize him when he's, when he's not on his game, and I think people don't like when I do that, but I'm going to be fair, and I'm going to call it what it is. When Marshawn Lattimore shuts down Mike Evans, I will come on this podcast and I will praise Marshawn Lattimore for the job he did. When Marshawn Lattimore gets get, you know burnt to a crisp by Calvin Ridley for five catches and 108 yards, I'm going to call you out on it. Because not only did Lattimore get beat play after play after play when he went up against Ridley, he was missing on things that he doesn't normally miss. Late in the game, and I know it didn't matter because the Saints win the game, and when you win the game, you excuse these type of things, but I'm not going to let it fly here. If he tackles Calvin Ridley, the game's over. You like you don't even get to a Hail Mary attempt. The game is over. And he misses that tackle for some reason, I don't know how, and Calvin Ridley gets out of bounds. If he tackles Calvin Ridley, by the time the Falcons get up to the ball and they spike it, I don't think they have time to spike it. They probably just have to snap it and try and run a play. So I, I think Marshawn Lattimore needs to be better. I think he will be better. But this was a rough go. And look, he was going up against Calvin Ridley, and Calvin Ridley's been a top 10 wide receiver this year. If you don't believe me, go look at the numbers. It's right there. But this is not a good enough excuse. He needs to be better when he's your number one corner. And, and your whole defense really goes through Lattimore. Like when he's on, the defense is on. And he was not on tonight, uh, today. And you saw the defense was still good. Don't get me wrong. They only held the Falcons to 16, 16 points. That's a really good game. But there were moments where you saw some flaws. And without Janoris Jenkins, without Patrick Robinson, you were hoping, you were hoping hey, maybe Lattimore steps up. He didn't do that. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. Now let's get to some positives. I'm not going to be all negative on a show where the Saints won and swept the Falcons. I mean, that's that's a good thing to do. You sweep your division opponent. Divisional games are never easy. So let's talk about some positive things. And the one thing that I thought was really, really positive is Michael Thomas is still the best wide receiver in the National Football League. I'm sure some people are going to disagree and some people will give lip about that. But the man is phenomenal. It doesn't matter if it's Drew Brees. It doesn't matter if it's Bridgewater. It doesn't matter if it's Taysom Hill. He produces with whoever is that quarterback. doesn't matter who it is. He's going to produce nine catches for 105 yards today. He had 100-plus yards the first time against the Falcons. You can see Mike starting to heat up, and this is big time, and this is why if I'm the Saints, I continue to do this practice workload where I kind of manage, uh, load manage Michael Thomas throughout the week. So on Sunday, he balls out. He was making contested catches over the middle of the field. He was making catches over the sidelines. And yeah, he hasn't gotten into the end zone, and I'm sure that will come with time, but he is putting up some really good numbers, really impressed with the way Michael Thomas played. I thought he was outstanding, and he made some history along the way too, which I thought was pretty cool. He has the, the fewest games of all time to get to 500 career receptions, and just to show how crazy this stat is, and it, it really just is a testament to his greatness, it took him 69 games to get to 500 career catches. The next closest receiver, Julio Jones, 80 games. So 11 less games to get to that mark. Michael Thomas always making history when he plays on the field. He is just a fantastic wide receiver. Uh, really happy that he's back and he's making plays. So you love to see uh, that. And also Kamara's been playing well. I thought Kamara, who people, you know, ask me, hey, what's going up with him? Uh, he doesn't look too solid. Is it the foot injury? Is it Taysom Hill? He had a good game, 88, car uh, 88 yards on 15 carries, uh, an average of 5.9, and he had that rushing touchdown. In the receiving game, not much, two catches for nine yards, but look, he's really not much of a, a weapon as a receiver when Taysom Hill's the quarterback, so you kind of just live with that. But when he's doing that as a runner, 15 carries for 88 yards, that is a really, really good game by Kamara. So I thought when, when Michael Thomas and Kamara are leading your offense, you're going to be in a good spot. And I know the Saints only put 21 points up, 
but it was a missed field goal here. It was a fourth down conversion that Jared uh, Cook should have caught there. It was a Taysom Hill fumble there. If the Saints don't make those three mistakes, we're talking about them putting 35-plus. They make those mistakes, and it costs you because realistically, you should have a Lutz field goal that gets you to 24. You have possibly another field goal from Lutz gets you to 27, and then you don't know. Maybe you score a touchdown on the Taysom Hill drive uh, after the strip sack that gets you to 34. You would have had a much nicer-looking out, uh, you know, um, performance on the box score. It just doesn't look that way. But when Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are playing at that level, you're going to be in really good shape. And I thought Traquan Smith, on and off game, but you take it. Three catches, 42 yards for a touchdown. I thought he had some really good moments. So there were some positives for the offense there. But again, rough game. One of those games where you're glad you got the win, don't like the result. But again, like I told you guys before this, the, in the beginning of the pod, you got to just you know, take it, I guess. I mean, you take a win, absolutely. And when it's against a division opponent like the Falcons, who could be a absolute pain in the ass every year, whatever. You take it, move on to the next one. You'll figure it out. Now, someone I want to give credit to. I didn't give credit to the defense at all, or maybe not enough, but there's two plays I really want to give credit to. The first one, Marcus Williams. This has not been a great year for Marcus Williams. In the contract year, he hasn't played up to his potential, but he's coming along the last couple of weeks, coming along really well. And Marcus Williams made the play of the game, the game-saving play. Matt Ryan throws, I guess you want to call it a jump ball to Julio Jones with about a minute and a half left, and Marcus Williams bats that ball away. That is the game-saving play. If Marcus Williams doesn't make that play, Saints probably lose. So he made that play. He had a really good pass breakup on a throw to Calvin Ridley. He was great. I know it's easy to slam Marcus Williams and say that he makes mistakes and he can't tackle. It's the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest thing to do. But when he plays well, you got to give him his respect, and he absolutely did play well against the Saints today. I'd give him the game ball. Like, I thought the way he played and the, and the fact that he was able to basically stop plays from going over the top. The only play that they really had over the top was Calvin Ridley catching it, and the ball hit the turf, yet the refs just decided that was a legal catch because apparently that's okay now in the NFL. So I thought Marcus Williams played outstanding. Another guy I want to give credit to, I give a credit to him all the time. I wouldn't say he had his best game because he didn't, but Demario Davis, when the game's on the line, Whoa, my God, he made a big play. So it's third and two, about a minute and 45. And Todd Gurley lost seven yards, I think, on that play. I mean, DeMario blew it up. Him and Gardner Johnson blew that play up. And Todd Gurley was just running backwards at that point. If that play doesn't happen, again, I could say the outcome of this game might have been different. So when your game changers on defense step up with the game on the line, you're going to be in a good spot. And that's what happened with the Saints. Because they didn't really have the most dominant game. Look, they had a good game, don't get me wrong. But they didn't have a dominant game. But when the game was on the line, the Saints defense, it was kind of like, okay, we got this. The offense doesn't got it right now. We got this. And that's pretty comforting. It's something that they've done a couple of times this year. They've done it against the Bears. They've done it against the Chargers. Uh, They've done it against the Lions, I believe. When the game's on the line, they say, relax, we got this. And they do. So you take it absolutely any way you can get it. Now, there's someone I want to talk about. And I'm not really going to talk about his performance so much as I'm going to talk about the fact that I think he's the best trash talker in the NFL. Can we address Gardner Johnson's ability to just absolutely get inside the minds of his opponents? I don't know if you guys saw this video. Um, I tweeted it. I retweeted it. It's from Seth Galina uh, from Pro Football Focus. Late in the game, literally the last play of the game, there was a Hail Mary. And not only does Calvin really not pay attention to where the football is on the Hail Mary that can result in his team possibly beating their division rival, he punches. For no reason, sucker punches Gardner Johnson in the face. 
Now, I'm saying for no reason I'm probably wrong, but instead of looking for the football, he says, nah, fuck this. I'm going to hit this guy in the face. You know why? Because Garner Johnson spends the whole entire game chirping and chirping and chirping, and not only does he chirp, he's a good football player, so he's going to make plays from time to time. He's going to let you know he made that play, and it gets in the back of your head. And, and Ridley, who was fantastic, he had over 100 yards. He had a great game. In the last play of the game with the game on the line in his head, he's so mentally defeated by Garner Johnson, and he's been such a thorn in their side, at least mentally, that he's like, nah, screw this. I'm hitting this guy in the face. It wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the second time. It's the third time he's been hit in the face this year. Heck, it's probably the fourth. I think Russell Gage hit him today too. So Garner Johnson has found a way to make himself an absolute weapon in ways that most football players can't. And I'm not talking about him being a good run stuffer or being good on the blitz or actually really improving as a pa- uh, as in his pass coverage, which he has a lot. He made a lot of good plays in the, pa- in the coverage today. It's Gardner Johnson being able to just trash talk his ways to wins in the mental battle. And that's half the battle in football. Mentally, if you're not ready for war, you got to go home. And Gardner Johnson's ready. And I always remember, and I'm sure Saints fans will because they love Odell, Norman found a way for most of that game back then when it was Giants uh, versus Panthers, and at the time, that's when the Panthers were undefeated, he found a way to get in Odell's head, and for about three quarters, Odell was not interested in playing football. He was just interested in, I'm going to sucker punch this guy, I'm going after this guy, because you're just mentally exhausted and frustrated with that person. Calvin Ridley was great for the entire game, and in the last moment, he lost his cool, and he said, I'm going to sucker punch this dude, I don't give a freaking rat's ass where the football is. And that's crazy to me, Um, but it's impressive. And I know a lot of you guys are tweeting at me, Gardner Johnson's the Draymond Green of the Saints. He absolutely is. And let me tell you something. Every championship team needs a Draymond Green. The Warriors, maybe, you know, the Durant year, they're probably winning anyway. But the Warriors, in the beginning, are not winning shit without Draymond Green because Draymond Green's that backbone. He's that guy that... He's the first one to the fight. Now, maybe Draymond Green's a fake tough guy. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not... This is not an NBA podcast. I know for sure... Gardner Johnson's not a fake tough guy. I can tell because he gets constantly into fights. And when someone gets into fight on his team, he's the first one to defend them. Never forget, Mike Evans pushed Marshawn Lattimore week one, who was right behind Evans, ready to get him in a freaking chokehold. Gardner Johnson, the dude is a dog. Absolutely love his game. And the fact that he's just taking his opponents out mentally is so impressive. So, so impressive. Um, it's a weapon, folks. It's absolutely a weapon. He's the best trash talker in the NFL. And he is starting to become... Um, a, a name around this league. I, I know Twitter's starting to fall in love um, with Gardner Johnson. So really impressive, liked what I saw there. Now, before uh, we wrap up this podcast, I'll be a couple more things we want to talk about and definitely want to get to your Twitter questions. So let's do Twitter questions first, and then we'll just give overall thoughts on what this team seems, at least what this team looks like heading into um, week 14. This season's flying by, in my opinion. It, it is flying by. So let's go to your Twitter questions. The first one, Calvin Ridley, Owen Lattimore today. Thoughts about that? Well, I think you're right. He did own him. I think I don't know back to what I said before. It's like Lattimore, unfortunately, is so hot and cold. Some games he's on and he looks great. And then sometimes it's just, I don't I don't know what you're getting from Lattimore. And today was one of those cases where you don't feel good. You don't feel good when he gets targeted. You kind of feel like he's going to give up a big play or two or five. So not great. He did own him. I, there's not much I could say about that other other than what I alluded to before. He's inconsistent, and this defense really dominates when he's on his game. He was not on his game. So we'll see. Look, Calvin Ridley's no slouch. He's a great player, but 
Lattimore's supposed to be a great player too, so we'll see what happens if he can bounce back uh, next week. Do you think Drew will be in will be in for Kansas City? Excuse me, couldn't even read that one for a sec. Um, I think so. I think so. I think with the way this team looks right now, I'm not. I wouldn't play Drew Brees against Philly um, just because I don't think they need him against Philly. Uh, but look, I think you play Drew Brees when Drew Brees says he's ready and he's eligible to play next week. If he says he's ready, you play Drew Brees against the Eagles. The reason I'm saying I would not play Drew Brees against the Eagles is because I think Drew's first game back, let's do it in the Dome. Let's do it in the Dome. Like, why play in Philly? It's probably going to be cold. Run it with Taysom, power run, figure it out. But if he says he's ready to play Philly, I think he plays in Philly. So to answer your question, do I think he's in for Kansas City? I do. I do. And and that might be a Super Bowl preview. Who the hell knows with the way the season's going. So um, we'll see what happens. I think he will be in there for for that Kansas City game. Do you think we see Ruiz start again, bearing injury to Easton or Pete? I don't think so. I think if 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 Easton and Pete stay healthy, problem is it's a huge if, but if they stay healthy, then I do think that Ruiz will have to sit on the bench. I think the Saints are getting to the point now where they can't make mistakes. You're getting, it's too late in the season. Every game matters. Every snap matters. And maybe if you clinch the first round by with like a game left, you could get Ruiz more reps and rev him up for the playoffs. But like Ruiz, unfortunately, has made way too many uh, mistakes in pass protection that I don't know. Now, I think the Saints can still rotate him in. They've been doing that a lot this year, but you're going to need to use Easton. And look, you guys can hate Andrews Pete all you want. I know he makes a lot of mistakes. He made a couple today. Andrews Pete's their best guard. Like we, we need to address that. It's a sad reality, but it is the truth. Like he is their best guard. Uh, it's, it is what it is. Like, for example, if you look at the Jets, you're going to say Jamison Crowder's their best receiver, and you can say, that's sad, okay, but it's the truth. Like, that's what you have at the position. That's your best guard. So, Andrews Pete is the best guard for the Saints. Is Taysom a, Q- a QB, or is it just because we played Atlanta? So, I'm assuming you're thinking Taysom played well, and you're asking, is he an actual quarterback, or is it because he played the Falcons? And to answer your question, Taysom is a quarterback. Like, the, the thing is, is he a good quarterback? And one, the sample size is too small. Two, the fumbling issue is a legitimate problem. And three... Kind of what you alluded to, he's played the same team twice. So we would need to see more. I think Taysom has shown enough progression as a passer to get another sh- a chance, whether that's next year as a starter, who knows. I think he's going to get that other, sh- that other chance because he really has taken a huge stride as a passer. But it's too early to tell. I, I know you guys are probably like, you got to be kidding me, Chris. Give me an answer here. I can't give you an answer. After three games, with two of them being against the same team and one of them it seemed like the Saints were just playing not to lose, I, I don't really have an answer for you. Like, that's the truth. Um, I think he's absolutely a quarterback in the NFL. Like, I, I think, look, there's 32, and then you got backups, so there's really 64 of them. He's absolutely one of 64, but where is he? That's the question. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Did Lattimore simply play bad, or is Ridley a bad matchup for him? Uh, I think it's more of Lattimore playing bad. I never really thought Ridley was going to be a bad matchup for him. I never in a million th- years thought that would be the case, but he got owned today. So I think Lattimore, for my opinion, just played bad. And Lillian had several snaps. I thought Quan essentially replaced him, but it seems like DA rota- uh, rotates between the two. What's going on with that? So Angeloni made a lot of decent plays and run support. And I think with the Saints, they wanted Quan in for the nickel, I believe it was. And there was a lot of times where the Falcons weren't giving them that look for them to go to the nickel. So that's why you did see a good amount of Anzalone. You actually saw a little bit of Zach Bond as well. Um, it, it's not an issue with playing or with health. Quan's healthy. Quan made some good plays when he's in there. He had a near interception um, on a diving play by Hayden Hurst. He had a big hit on Todd Gurley. Quan played well. He just didn't have a huge role today. Um, but Quan played well. I wouldn't worry about it at all. Um, let's see what we got. How did P.J. Williams end up covering Julio so much? 
well, and how did he fare? Okay, so he didn't fare well. Let me get that out of the way. Uh, he didn't fare terribly bad, though, I guess. Like, it could have been much worse, guys. Uh, I don't know about you, but I believe it was the 2018 season. I think I got P.J. Williams covering on the outside, and Ridley and Julio were just taking turns, just beating the crap out of him. Uh, the Saints won in overtime. That was the Drew Brees spin move game. But he didn't play terribly bad. He just wasn't good. And, of course, against Julio, he's going to get beat. So, Julio, I believe, had 90 something, uh, 92 receiving yards. Uh, not a bad game at all for the vet wide receiver. So, how did he end up covering to answer your questions? Injuries. Patrick Robinson hurt. Patrick Robinson was on Julio before that. Janoris Jenkins was inactive because of the knee injury. So, when you have those two missing time, you're obviously going to be in a bad spot. So, th- that was that was the big thing for the um, for the Saints there. Not having Patrick Robinson, not having Janoris Jenkins. Hopefully, one of them returns soon. If not, then I don't know. It's going to be tough sledding because P.J. Williams is going to have to play a lot. And you have the Chiefs in two weeks. Could you imagine P.J. Williams going up against one of those Chiefs wide receivers? Uh, he should just go for P.I. It's less yards than what he would give up if he gets burnt. So, we'll see what happens. Do you think Emmanuel Sanders will be the Saints' lucky ticket to a Super Bowl appearance given the fact that he's been in one with every team he has signed to? We'll see. I think Emmanuel Sanders, for me, interesting season he's had. Started off slow, then he picks up and starts to heat up. Then he gets COVID. Then he has to sit out. Then Drew Brees comes in. They start getting back on rhythm. And then Drew Brees is out. And now he's with Taysom. And it's not like... It's not like Taysom isn't targeting. He did have five catches today, but like his role is not the same. So it's been a weird season for him. But I really love what Sanders done on and off the field. Couldn't he be their good, uh, you know, their lucky charm? We'll find out. Only time will tell. But he definitely makes them a better team. So we'll see what happens from there. Did Taysom improve these past two to three games? He did. He did improve as a passer a t- a whole lot, way more than I thought he would as a passer. The footwork is good. Going through the reads is better than I expected. The fumbling's an issue. Being a little indecisive is an issue. Missing a couple guys is an issue. That A lot of that comes with time, so I don't want to fully blame him. But there are definitely some concerns, but I, I, he did improve. Like, I would be lying to you if I told you he did not improve. He absolutely improved. So we'll, we'll see if he can continue it. Do you have us taking a QB in the first or giving Jameis a chance next season? Don't think they're going to take QB in the first. I do think Jameis might get a chance. So to answer your question... I'm not sure, but if I had to pick one, I think it's more Jameis than they take a quarterback in the first, and here's why. I'm going to get into a little bit of a draft rant here, so please, uh, you know, be patient. The Jets are taking a quarterback. Like, that's not a secret. The Jets are purposely losing games. I don't know if you watched that Raiders game today, but the Jets literally lost. It was the end of the game, a Hail Mary. They knew it had to go in the end zone, and they did, a think, a cover zero blitz. Like, you have no safety help. You have a QB spy on Derek Carr. Like, I don't know what... Do you think Derek Carr's Michael Vick or something? Like, I don't understand... And then you send the house. I mean, I know they got Greg Williams, so it kind of like makes sense for Greg Williams to send the house there. But for me, I, I have no clue, no clue at all what the hell the Jets were doing. So they're taking a quarterback. That is a given. Then you got the Jaguars, who will be taking a quarterback. But then it's the teams in the middle who could be taking a quarterback. And that's where, for me, I just don't see the Saints taking one, at least not in the first round. And those teams that could take a quarterback, you have the... um the, the Washington football team, they could take a quarterback. You have the Denver Broncos, they can take a quarterback. You have the Bears, they better take a quarterback. I mean, they got Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. You need a quarterback in the worst way possible. Then you got some teams that could surprise people. The 49ers could take a quarterback. The Vikings could take a quarterback. There are teams in that mix that can do that. Heck, the Falcons could if they really feel like this Matt Ryan thing's no longer working out and they need to get his heir apparent. They can do that. So there are teams that can surprise people and, and go after quarterback, and I think by the time you get to the Saints, the Colts, another team right there, I didn't even think of them, the Colts are another team, could go after quarterback. By the time you get to the Saints, let's be real, 
your guys that are off the board, Lawrence, Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, off the board. And then you have to be real and say, hey, look, Kyle Trask might be off of the board. Mac Jones might be off the board. So I, I'm not so sure the Saints take a quarterback. I think it's Jameis um, if I had a pick to answer your question. Now, before I wrap this up, because that's going to do for the Twitter question part, let's just talk about Drew Brees real quick. He's supposed to return soon. He can return as soon as this uh, upcoming game against the Eagles, which would be an interesting surprise if that happens. Um, I, I think for the Saints... Play it smart. If Drew says he can play and he's clear to play, you got to play him. Like, that—that that is the rule. And it's not like Taysom's done enough for you to say, oh, man, the Saints look good with Taysom, even better than without Breeze. That, that is just not happening. I know people thought that might happen, and some people wished it because they love quarterback controversies, but that was not the case. Like, Taysom Hill has not played well enough for people to say, oh, I don't know, do you put Breeze back in? You put Breeze back in when the man says he's ready to play. I just really think that the Saints can benefit from playing him against the Chiefs. One, we all expect them to be underdogs in that game. Maybe by two and a half points, one and a half point, an underdog. And it's really a pick em. That is a game where you get Breeze in. I don't, I don't really know if you have to rush him to get him in the Eagles game. Another week can do wonders for his body because it lets him kind of rev up this week. Still not play, so it's an extra week avoiding hits. And then he gets that extra six days and he plays. And I don't think holding him, I, I used to think that they should hold him for the um, for the Vikings game on Christmas, but now I no longer think that is the case. If he's ready to play, I think the Chiefs makes more sense because you hold him against on a short week getting ready for the Vikings. I just feel like that's weird. If he gets to the Chiefs game, he doesn't take many hits, he's got his feet under him again, and he's in rhythm, then he might be cooking for the Vikings game. A team that, by the way, struggled against the Jaguars. So, like, he can cook against that team. So, I, I think for the Breeze situation... You take it day by day, obviously. You see where he's at by Wednesday. If he can throw the football without pain and he's saying he's ready to go, you got to play Drew Brees. Um, but I, I do think if I'm the Saints, I don't play him for the Eagles game. I give him one more week to rev up and get healthy, and then let's go. Chiefs game's in. You got three weeks to get yourself ready for a Super Bowl run. You got three weeks. The Saints could be 11-2. and two. Who knows? If they're 11-2 and two by then, three weeks for Drew Brees to get ready, I, I you, you got to like that odd. So, and those chances. So, I think that's how they handle the situation. We'll obviously see what happens in the very near future. We'll find out by Wednesday, in my opinion, what's going to happen, if they activate him or not. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they activate him and still don't play him, um, but just activate him anyway. Uh, it doesn't really hurt them to to, to keep him uh, on IR for another week. It wouldn't affect them. It's not like they have to activate him by Wednesday. It would just be a tell sign as to where he is in his recovery. Only time will tell with that, though. But obviously, encouraging news because it, it went... You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were wondering, is his career over? Is the season over? What's going on? And even though it was a bad injury, 11 fractured ribs and a collapsed lung, Drew's just such a tough son of a bitch. Like, the guy was going to be back. Like, he is not going to let that be his final play with the Saints. He'll find a way to get back on the field, and it appears he's about to get back on the field. So we'll see what goes there. But anyway, guys, I appreciate you so much for listening to this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. If you have any uh, comments, concerns, questions, just hit me up on Twitter. I'll get to them. I'll have some videos on YouTube later this week, probably... Um, a film review again on Taysom. And also, let's film review other players. Just hit me up, and, and whoever you want to see, we'll look at them. Maybe we'll look at Michael Thomas. He had a great game uh, for the Saints yet again. So uh, stay tuned for that content. Um, and obviously, just keep enjoying this ride. It's been a fun season, a weird season. Saints went from 1-2 and two to 10-2. and two. Uh, They always make that run this time of the year, and it's fun to see it happen. And this year, more than last, I'd say, uh, definitely more than last, it just seems that this team has the pieces it's about just execution, and we'll see if they can do it. But again, thank you guys for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Enjoy your upcoming Victory Monday, and let's hope the Saints get some good news regarding Drew Brees uh, on this upcoming Wednesday.